Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yeah! Oh, Dragon Talk, you're the best. We love you, Dragon Talk. You get a dragon. <laughs> you get a dragon. You get a dragon. Yay! You get a dungeon, Shelly. All right. <laughs> Finally. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined, as always, by Shelley Mazanoble. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We had a little bit of a break uh, as I went camping into the yes. woods and uh, went on adventures with my family. Into the wilderness. Into the woods. Did exactly. you feel like you were on a D&D adventure out in the woods? Totes. Uh, we had to make fires. We took tramp through the uh, paths to discover druids. We saw this one tree that looked like it had fallen and then it kept growing. So it's Ooh. it's it like it's like at its base was it was basically 90 degrees uh, and then it grew up but it wasn't like a small tree. The, the the entire trunk was like, you know, 2 or 3 feet in diameter. It was huge. That's inspiring. More. That yeah, tree. So I, like, I know. That's a I, message for all of us. You could fall down and you can get back up again. It's. I mean, I feel like you can drink a vodka it's, drink. Or you a can drink a lager drink. drink. I mean. <laughs> you get back down. You get back up again. Yeah. I like it. I like it too. It was really cool. I always get inspired by like Wild type stuff whenever I'm camping uh, too. And then uh, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, a great charity uh, that I participated in a D&D game for, Fenway's Game Day. Nice. Uh, which supports uh, suicide prevention and all this great stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Jasper's Game Day, run by Fenway Jones, uh, who is a, uh, a teenager, and uh, she's done an amazing amount of fundraising. And my adventure that I ran was based on the Feywild, so it was super fun. No to- way, you ran something? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was really cool. Um, nice. So uh, definitely want to do that. I also want to give a small shout out uh, to the Black AF Roundtable uh, number three that was on uh, Omega Jones' uh, channel and all the great uh, speakers there um, putting a spotlight on uh, the experiences of black creators, not just in the TRPG space, although that is uh, a bit of their focus, but just in streaming and in life. And, uh, you know, it was a continuation of our discussion during D&D Live as well as what they've been doing on uh, Omega Jones's channel. And, you know, that was also this week. So yeah. great, great stuff there. Busy week. Lots of good content out there. Yeah. And today we're talking to Jay Tall Squall, a uh, prominent member of the D&D community on Twitter. I've been following him for a long, long time. Always wanted to get him on the podcast. And uh, now all of... The stars have aligned, and we can talk uh, about uh, his longtime running campaign that's streaming, as well as the hashtag D&D Fitness uh, that he, uh, I think he created. I don't know if he... I think he did, too. Um, but he's also been, a, you know, just talking about how to stay in shape while also keeping your nerdy uh, proclivities important to you. Yes. It's very inspiring, the D&D Fitness hashtag. It is. Like it's just like people sharing their fitness journeys and being inspired by each other. And I, I always, I, I just feel, I always feel inspired when I see that, that hashtag come up. And Me too. Sometimes I just search for it on purpose. So I'm like, I need some feel good stuff right now. Right. I like yeah. I, I don't actually ever exercise, but I feel inspired. Oh, to do I mean, so. I, I, it's like an exercise for my mind. So. <laughs> and my soul. And but, my uh, thumbs. And as I'm like scrolling through. 
that burns that at least a half a calorie each time you swipe. I, yeah, yeah. It's like it's good mental exercise. That it's is an exercise in positivity. Uh, so we're going to talk all about that uh, cool. with Jay Tallsquall. Can't wait. Um, and wanted to let everybody know about some great D&D stuff that we're talking about now, including Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Burr. Burr. It's yes. dropping on September 15th. You'll be able to travel to the frozen north and meet the denizens of Ten Towns, perhaps save them, uh, uh, from an eternal winter, uh, put a, you know that's been put on an already cold uh, area. So, lots of great stuff, and we'll find out more about that uh, at D and D Celebration, uh, which is an online event that is all about getting the community together to uh, celebrate the release of Icewind Dale: Rime of the Frost Maiden and roll some dice together. Uh, we'll have great panels. We'll have Wonderful insight uh, from those uh, community members as well as the D&D team about, you know, uh, about Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, about upcoming products, about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe and some even some future stuff. I was just going to say, yeah, right? Future stuff that I know you're working on, Shelley. Yeah. I mean, just like, just, you know, talking to uh, the people who are decision makers and, and how they come up with, with ideas for products and, and why why D&D does the things it does and where does D&D see itself in five years? That kind of stuff. <laughs> where do you oh, see man. yourself, D&D? I can't uh, wait for you to, to ask that question of like Chris Perkins or something like that and be like, so, so where do you see yourself in five years? Yes. I mean, I the know. thing is, is that how they probably have an answer for that because they plan this stuff out so far. Like Chris Perkins is probably working on He's probably going to be 25 adventure right now. <laughs> on a mountaintop with Milo working on that adventure. Yep. Uh, exactly. Yep. Rat tat tatting away on the keyboard. But, um, but it is a great yeah. celebration of the community as a whole. That's what it was, you know, the, the, uh, the event was designed to be. And in service of that, that community is all over the world. And those folks will be able to get together and play Dungeons and Dragons, you know, with uh, the Adventurers League content uh, that we've got planned um, on Saturday. In fact, we're planning, uh, and we're just planning. The largest D and D game ever conceived. We'll say yes. that uh, with we're, we're hoping for more than a th- we have you know see open seats for more than a thousand D and D players to uh, experience the same meta goal. Each each player will still have their own DM with you know five or six players you know working on smaller goals, but all of those you know hundreds of tables will all be working together for a larger meta goal within the Icewind Dale milieu and uh, that's really exciting i like just like the idea of having these uh number this number of players kind of all working towards the same thing is is super exciting for me it it is very exciting and if you haven't signed up for uh, that is the the D&D epic that you're talking about which will be epic it is epic. Uh, it is epic. There's also uh, games on Friday and Sunday. Uh, and you should go right now to DungeonsAndDragons.com, find out more information, and sign up. Because I'm going to give you a little insider info. Those tables are filling up. Yeah, like, real fast. fast. Real fast. Um, and they were really filling up quickly right after we announced the event. So um, I'm planning on playing in the epic. Are you going to play? I uh, need to sign up. Honestly, I well, actually. That's I a mean, really I want to sign up with like some, you know, with some friends and stuff. But friends, uh, so yeah. I haven't. But I, I, I definitely 
I want to play. I have never played in an epic. I've seen epics being played, and I'm always extremely jealous because it just looks like so much fun. There's just so much energy around it, and people are like running around table to table and yelling things out, and it's just, it's crazy. It's just, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and we're going to try to recreate that uh, in an online setting uh, as much as we can, and it's going to be tons of fun. Um, lots of D&D community members uh, acting as NPCs throughout that epic, uh, you know, similar to the way it was done for uh, D&D Live 2019, The Descent, when we had that epic uh, around uh, Baldur's Gate. Um, And so it's going to be fun. Uh, And I don't think we set the dates yet. September 18th, 19th, and 20th, um, directly after the release, uh, the weekend directly after the release of uh, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, and it's international, like I said, where in addition to having English-speaking Dungeon Masters all set up, you know, the best-trained Dungeon Masters available, we're going to have Dungeon Masters uh, who use different languages out there. And so, again, this is open to everybody around the world. There'll be different time zones in which you yes. can participate in the Epic, uh, as well as the um, Adventures League games that are going on on Friday and Saturday uh, during D&D Celebration. So, Yeah. Come, come, be a part of of celebrating this community because you know I know gather I gather your party. Gather your party. And you know what I I think it's important to to mention. Like this is very easy if for people to come play D anD D with us because you we we're providing the dungeon masters. Yeah, we're providing the adventure. Like you literally just have to go. You sign up. You can sign up alone. Like you'll just you'll be at a table with other adventurers or you can sign up with your friends, but you really don't need anything else. So if you were and there's many different options for how you want to play. If you want to play on Discord, if you want to play on Google Hangouts, if you want to play on Zoom, however, there are tables that support um all of those those different platforms. So whatever your preference is, if you've never played D&D online before and just want to experience it, see what it's like, this is a great way to do that. Good point. And you might end up at my table, burr, burr, burr. which maybe isn't a selling point, but <laughs> maybe, it's a selling point for me. There you go. Maybe yeah. you'll be at a table with Greg and I together. Ooh, we should sign up as a table together. That'd be fun. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, okay. be great. Uh, so yeah, sign up, get involved. Uh, DungeonsandDragons dot com is a good way to do it. But I think there, it's also using the yawning portal. You'll, Yes. Yawning 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 portal portal. tool that we debuted uh, during D&D Live. And it's, you know, we've only made more improvements to that matchmaking service. Uh, So as Shelly said, you can sign up as an individual or as a group or a pair or however you want to do it. And you'll get slotted into um, uh, a game with uh, very little uh, ease. There is a cost associated. I will say that. Um, But all of the proceeds for that will go towards Extra Life, uh, a charity we worked with. For many, many years, uh, it all benefits the uh, Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals, and it is just a great way to play some D&D while also um, giving resources to kids in need uh, at uh, these hospitals. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. Yep. Yes. Yes. You know what else is cool about D&D Celebration? What? You are going to get to preview some really fun, exciting content from an upcoming book, also just announced. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Everything. We put everything in that book and in the cauldron as well. Yeah, Yeah. it is cooking up. It's a cauldron of holding. 
It's boiling. This is the sound it makes. I'm a Thank you. I'm available for voice talent work. Your sound effects are Michael Winslow-like. Yes. Only so, about four people are going to get that reference. But I was just—I was able to tell you—I'm in the—I was in the office uh, doing some mailings and things like that. Only the second time I've been in the office since we were in quarantine. But uh, some of the team members working on galleys for uh, <gasps> Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It was really. Did you peek at it? I—you know what? I—I want to be surprised. I did not actually peek on it. Also, I was keeping social distance, so I didn't want to uh, you don't interfere. Want to look right over Jeremy's shoulder. Exactly. Even though everybody was wearing face masks and all that, I, I wanted to uh, be respectful in that regard. But uh, it is very exciting, and the buzz around those people putting together that book was palpable. You could cut it with a longsword, um, perhaps. It was really exciting, and the artwork alone uh, that we were able to preview. Uh, for Tasha's Cauldron of Everything around that character. Uh, the artwork for the alternate cover oh. looks amazing. Um, so the standard cover is quite possibly one of my favorite standard covers that we've put together. I say that every time, but I, this one knocks it out of the park yet again. Um, so, yeah, good stuff. And that's coming out November 17th. November 17th, yeah. Thank you. I was yeah. like, 20th? No, 17th. It's in my brain yeah. somewhere. <sighs> Pull it out there. So yeah, you'll get more information about that at D&D Celebration uh, as well. If you're interested, we have a whole bunch of influencers who debuted a lot of more information about it uh, over the last few weeks. So if you haven't, go check out um, Twitter, uh, Wizards underscore D&D, uh, as well as any other of our social platforms on Instagram and Facebook. You'll find uh, some of the community members talking through uh, exciting portions of that book. Yes. Yeah. All the love. love. I'm very excited. Uh, shout out to Brandy Camel and to you, Shelly, for putting out all of that amazing stuff, working with... Um, and Pelham Green. Some great folks. Mary Josberger. We had a... All, it takes a village to make one little announcement. And then you have to burn the village down with... Yes. Uh, well, no, and then no, you have no. to hire a bunch of adventurers to put it back together. It is just a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> 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 There's so many uh, stories to tell, but no, you're right. It was a it was a, a group effort, and uh, you know I love the positivity from folks like Mika Burton and uh, uh, Sam Delev and all the yes. all the, the folks talking about. I'm what. Really excited about it. Yeah. Um. So, Brandy, Camel. I think she yes. might actually be Tasha. That's right. Uh, we got to hear her <laughs> laughter, uh, her hideous laughter, yes. uh, as a preview. I thought that was super cool. That was did so you, good. Did you know that was her? Oh yeah, yeah. When you listened to it the first time, well, I was in on the the initial I, uh, concept of it. But there were some people who uh, didn't know, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that was that was Brandy," uh, and it was this wonderful surprise. So yeah, she's got she's got a future in voiceover too. I think you might have she, a, some competition so there. And I think that um, uh, she actually, Tasha is, has always been one of her favorite characters. So she was double delighted to be able to um, voice nice. the hideous laughter there. Um, speaking of, what was I going to say? Tasha stuff. I don't know. I had something really, oh, I know. A request. A request. Will we get some uh, lore segments about Tasha? Faux show. Great. Uh, definitely. Uh, we are uh, exhausting our repository of information on the gods and deities of mythic odysseys of Theros. I think we got one more coming up with Ari 
uh, in just a few minutes. Oh, but cool. yes, we will be diving into uh, more lore around Rime of the Frost Maiden, even Curse of Strahd revamped, as yes. well as Tasha uh, in the next coming months. So you got that to look forward to. Great. Uh, but let's um, let's you. hear from Ari Levich uh, about some amazing uh, deities uh, from Theros, which is uh, uh, in stores now. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and today I'm joined by Ari Levich. Hello again. Hey, Ari. Uh, we are finishing out our discussions of the deities of Theros. Uh, in support- Finally, there are so many gods. <laughs> There's so many, <laughs> so many amazing deities. I mean, as the mythology you know, dork uh, when I was a kid, it's so cool to go and talk about a... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say fake, but a, a made-up pantheon uh, for my favorite role-playing game. So very excited about uh, talking through all of these. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Karanos and Nylea. Uh, and Karanos is where we're going to start. What type of deity is Karanos? So before I jump into Karanos, I, d- I just want to share this. Uh, you were talking about how kind of fun it is to talk about, about gods and deities um, you've had you've talked with James Wyatt before. Um, James yeah. Wyatt is one of the most fun people to uh, kind of brainstorm with because he can get excited, kind of like a little kid. And when we were working on the book early on, we were talking about the relationships of the different of, of all the gods and how they relate to each other. And we had this whiteboard kind of mapping it out, and it was just he was having the best time, just like mapping all of this out and like just yeah. Anyway. That's so. Uh, this is probably just for me. This story is not the best anecdote, but I had to share how much fun it is to to work with James Wyatt. Uh, you know, he's a theology. Uh, I think he studied theology, and uh, he just loves. Oh no, you're frozen again. Uh, I will say that I have experienced uh, seeing James giddy with glee uh, at what uh, was being created and all of that, and I can certainly imagine uh, what it was like to be in that room and mapping out all those things because I think I would have a similar emotion of yeah, tying them all it was together. Great. It was uh, great. I, Sorry, I think I cut out there for a moment. But, you did, uh, yeah, I was trying to cover, uh, but no, you're back. Thank you. <laughs> oh, here uh, we go again. Oh. I can still see and hear you, so you're all right. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, hopefully we can get through this. Yes. Uh, get that internet. Uh, you know, the the deity of the internet is not on your in your favor right now. No, I've angered somebody. I guess I haven't seen, uh, but this makes you know talking about all of these gods makes me want to watch uh, American Gods. Uh, oh yeah. Show on uh, was it stars. I don't know. I don't have that sh- channel, so that's don't part of the problem. Don't actually know, yeah. Yeah, uh, but very cool. Let's talk about Karanos and what type of deity they are. Uh, so Karanos is is a fun god. Um, they uh, So they're the god of storms. That is kind of what they're about. Okay. And also insight. Um, they, as just personality-wise, Karanos is kind of hot-tempered, Not really doesn't really have any patience for other gods or really doesn't care about the whims of other gods or their aspirations. Um, yeah, they're not interested. They don't have the ambitions that other gods like Heliod probably just comes across as the biggest blowhard to him. And they are, um, as this kind of god of storms, there, there are a 
very powerful. They are a jolting, they're a jolting kind of force of change. Um, this idea that uh, that insight can affect change, um, hmm. that that storms themselves can you know can can batter you know coastlines and actually over time sh- reshape coastlines and and they could do immense you know immense damage and they don't think about it in terms of or, or Kernos doesn't look at it in terms of you know good or bad that 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 change happens but they see that change is an, an inevitable thing but another aspect of Kernos is that they are this god, because they're this god of insight they are they insight can come in flashes sometimes and they have their their lightning bolt their javelin that they wield is named epiphany and oh. so it's this idea that they could you know strike uh strike out any at, anywhere and grant somebody with this epiphany so oftentimes artists and poets will uh worship Keranos hoping to get get struck with you know with that uh with that epiphany that's interesting um, combination of you know kind of portfolios i guess i could say like because you it, know yeah Keranos is Keranos is a very is, is a strange god in terms of the the domains that they oversee, right? Uh, I don't mean domain as like a D and D term, as for a cleric. I mean like just the the aspects of uh, of a mortal's life that they might oversee. That there is this chaotic natural aspect, right? This god of storms, mm-hmm. and then there is this kind of reflective aspect of of insight and epiphany and inspiration. Um, and like I, I love that these two things come together. That there's there's this ephemeral quality, right? A storm is not a permanent thing. You don't go to the storm place. Like a storm is an event that happens at a at a location at a given time. And so there's this, there's, there's this elusive quality to uh, to Keranos. But when Keranos is present, when a storm is present, you know it. And like there's th- this idea of gaining insight in a flash when you are struck with an epiphany. You know it, and there's this undeniable quality to Keranos that I find fascinating. Um, that is Ker- fascinating. Keranos, say again. I said that is fascinating to have so many. You know, I mean, not to always bring it back to real world deities, but it's like you know, part Poseidon, part Apollo, part Zeus, uh, and uh, you know, mashing those all together to create this new and interesting whole. But I, but I love it. You're bringing it back to the storm, like that. It is something that occurs to people, uh, to mortals. And they either have to weather it or perhaps uh, you know, use it to their advantage. Right, right. Uh, you could see how, you know, Perforos can appreciate this concept of, of, tr- of having these flashes of inspiration. I think Perforos might, you know, uh, be inspired by Keranos's ability to, uh, to inspire. Because Perforos himself is a creator, is an artisan. Uh, but I think for Perforos, Perforos wants to create the thing that lasts forever. And so there's this fleeting quality of Keranos that I think might frustrate Perforos. Mm. Um, are they in conflict or are, they, are those just, you know, deities that have, you know... I, I think they would... They, yeah, they, they, I don't think they're in conflict necessarily. I don't think Keranos really cares for about Perforos's, you know, grudge with Heliod for being, you know, the premier god of the pantheon. Keranos just doesn't care. Keranos appreciates people who are reflective and kind of introspective and just 
has very little patience for the other nonsense. Um, there's an interesting thing that the, the, the book outlines um, that talks about how the people of uh, Akros uh, worship or show their appreciation for Kyrnos is that they'll, they'll, before the storm, they will create these elaborate sand paintings or sand kind of art. And then the storm washes this away, that away. This idea of not getting attached to this particular iteration of this art, but it's there for that moment, and you can appreciate it in that moment. Wow. And then Karanos comes and washes it all away. There's something profound about that. I've watched a lot of, uh, you know, cooking shows or, or sculpture shows. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in particular, one that has to do with like sugar and sculpture like that. And I'm always like, why? Why do we like? I, I get that it's interesting and cool. But it, it's going to be gone in like ten minutes. It's going to break, yep. or it's going to be eaten. Why is there so much time and energy put to something that is not constant? Uh, but I think you really touched upon it. It's like it's appreciating the beauty in the moment. Yep. Yeah, I was taking a pottery class about a year ago, and the the instructor built this elaborate thing, just you know, as a tutorial, and then just crushed it all. And everyone in the class was like, <sighs> why would you do that? And he's like, it's just mud. We're just playing with mud. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, that hurts. But yeah, like particularly with food. Yeah, presentation. You know, But yeah, it's, it's just for that moment. It enhances that moment. And for Kyranos, I think it would be about if you can enhance that moment to a certain tipping point where then you can create that lightning and you can get that epiphany, you can get that deeper insight that's where Karanos would like really find his champion. I think. I, I think that's a in game. That's a great way to do it. That if you could put your characters in positions where they might have this emotional moment, and that that's where Karanos's emissary or Karanos himself might show up or might literally strike them with, with epiphany. epiphany. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think that there's something there's something amazing about that. That that is a memorable moment at the table. Or on your screen, as as it were, these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and so I mean, you know, clearly Tempest clerics uh, would have uh, Karanos as a patron. Uh, what other types of characters could you see, um, you know, being devoted to to this deity? I think bards. Uh, bards would mm-hmm. like, especially you think about a bard who sings, and uh, a bard who you know just the entertain the. The idea of singing a song or telling a story or anything like that, that is a moment, right? And so I think that is something that is very much, it could be very much interpreted as a Karanos type uh, type thing. Um, I think you can do it. I mean, what I love about Karanos is trying to, once a character has been either hit with that epiphany, the idea of seeking it again, of, of always kind of chasing the storm, oh, right? right? I think there's something about that that could drive an entire party. Like we had, we had this very clear vision of what was supposed to happen, and we think we've done it, but we don't know what the next step is, or what happens after right. that, or you know any of that. And so, yeah, that's really that's really you know could drive an entire you know campaign of people dry, you know on on a, on a boat trying to commune with Theranos. Yeah, I, I think I think that there, I just think Theranos is, is a fascinating um, god, and I think that Theranos's oracles can be equally interesting these kind of you can get these kind of really like spacey type characters who might not necessarily talk in you know in a normal you know in a straightforward way um you can get people who just kind of talk in riddles perhaps like you might 
yeah, you might get you get the one who just lives on the top of of the highest mountain where lightning is constantly striking there. Mm. So you have to go to that. So I think that there's a lot of not just exciting characters to play with, but the visuals that a DM gets to describe with Karanos are very cinematic. I think it, it kind of lends itself. Uh, he, he lends himself very well to a campaign. I love that. Um, all right, well then, let's move on to talking about what you described as your favorite deity uh, yeah. in the Theros pantheon, Nylea. So I I love Nylea. Um, Nylea is is the god of the hunt. Also, just happens to be the first uh, god I ever opened in a pack of Theros. So that was the first one I acquired. Hey. And I just there's been a soft spot uh, for Nylea. Um, so yeah, she is she is the god of the hunt. Um, she uh, she wields a bow and uh, she is a protector of nature and a shepherd of of the seasons. And she's an interesting character in that she is the protector of nature, but she's also the hunter, mm. right? And so she is very much uh, she will bless the hunter, the predator that hunts for food, but is very much against the poacher or the hunter for sport. That that is not how it's not the place to like test one's metal. It's just like putting yourself up against a strong beast, they are more about like, are you doing this because you need, you need this sustenance? Um, but yeah, she wield, uh, her bow that she wields uh, on the hunt um, is called Aphixis. And Aphixis, it, she has the, uh, um, Nelia has this quiver of, th- of four arrows and each arrow is associated with one of the seasons. And by loosing one of those arrows, it's, as the myth goes, it it heralds the next the coming of the next season. Oh, okay. Now in the game, uh, Aphixis is one of the artifacts that you can that you might be able to get or interact with in some way. And each of those arrows has its own special effect uh, if you, if you use it if if it's in if it's being wielded by a mortal. Does um, she often allow mortals to use her weapon? Um, I, I think it, it it depends. She might offer it to one of her champions. Uh, it could be something that happens where it is stolen, mm. and you have to recover it. Um, so these are these are there are five god weapons in uh, in the uh, in the book, and you have Heliod's spear, you have Erebos's whip, you have Nylea's bow, you have Thassa's bident, uh, and you have Perforos's hammer. And these are all outlined uh, in the book. And yeah, if they're wielded by mortals, they are. You get um, they are powerful items, and the more piety you have, so the more devotion you have to that god, the more you get to unlock uh, of of that of that uh, weapon. That's okay, um, great. And so, yeah, I love you know that being a driving force behind the campaign of you know recovering a bow or you know being bestowed with the blessing of using this bow for Nylia's goals. Uh, so beyond protecting the nature and heralding the seasons. What type of effect does she have on you know the peoples of of Theros? So she's one of those gods that is kind of uh, apart from uh, from schemes, kind of like the way Keranos was. Just like I don't really want to. I'm not really interested. Elia is just cares about the natural world. Mm. So where a lot of the gods are interested in mortals. So in terms of uh, humanoid, you know, humanoids with ambitions and aims. Nylea is much more about the natural world. So she will, uh, you know, she is more surrounded with, with animals. Um, and to show your devotion to, to Nylea might be just to show kindness to, to, to animals. That might be enough. Um, so she is not there to necessarily 
cultivate followers, but there, but she garners followers because the natural having the natural world in kind of in harmony benefits them. But the way Karametra is the god of harvests, Nylea is not there to make sure that, that there is a good harvest or that you know that the sea. That the seasons are not there to benefit mortals necessarily. The seasons are there because that's what the seasons do. They go in this cycle. And so <clears throat> in that sense, Nylea might, uh, this is something that Clothis, who we talked about earlier, as this kind of uh, god of this kind of larger cosmic order, would appreciate Nylea for being this custodian of the seasons. Mm. Um, Nylea is worshipped in particular uh, in Setessa. Setessa is one of the is one of the poles, the plural of polis, which is like the Amazon. Uh, yeah, analog, exactly, right? exactly. This polis in this woodland polis, and so there's there's a a lot of devotion to Nylea there, and uh, there are people that would kind of model their own archery off of Nylea and things like that, and try to emulate Nylea as a hunter and should have Nylea's prowess essentially. So rangers, druids, uh, yeah, uh, automatically kind of get filtered into into that but what other classes do you think would be um you know adherence to this type of natural order i, I can imagine an uh an oath of ancients paladin oh, that might, 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 uh fill that fill that role or nightly might fill that role for an oath of ancients paladin um yeah i i think again with like with so many of these uh gods i i what i love about the way the gods work is that because of how how much influence they have in the world, all more even if I'm a fighter and I have nothing to do with, you know, divine magic, I'm still gonna like Nylea might still be important to me as 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 a character. So if I'm if I'm a warrior from Satessa, or if I'm a warrior from another polis who is trying to journey to Satessa to learn more about about Nylea or to train in that manner, Nylea would be of paramount importance to me. Um, like if those myths resonated with me as a child and I'm going to, uh, you know, seek her out. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's one of the powerful things about Theros is that the gods aren't kind of, you know, uh, relegated to paladins and clerics and things, you know, it's everybody's they're got, important to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And not only one of the deities, multiple deities exactly. can be uh, honored by characters. Yeah, at different times, at different moments, but you might you might favor a particular god as like this is my patron god. But you're going to you acknowledge and honor gods. Most people would, I mean, where, where it's uh, appropriate. Sure, you might, and if, in the appropriate way. If you're hunting the white whale, you know, you might pray to both Nylea and Karanos, for example. Right, or 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 Thassa to to or Thassa. Uh, you know, or to plead for forgiveness for to Thassa for taking one of these you know large monsters, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that, that that I think that's part of the the joy of playing in Theros is having the uh, the presence of these gods, even if they're not physically there or their magic isn't directly influencing, but they're they're going to be a part of of, of most people's lives in some way. So, uh, two more questions. One is, what does her uh... Uh, physical appearance. How does she manifest? Uh, you mentioned the bow, but what is what is her demeanor when she is uh, in? Yeah, so in the oftentimes world? she she will uh, appear as as a, a human woman with green with green tinted skin. Oh, she's like a Star Trek uh, <laughs> uh, alien. Oh, you are frozen once more. 
Almost done. Almost done. All right, you're back. Okay, all right, I'm back. Uh, green-tinted skin. Yeah, so she appears as a, a human woman with green-tinted skin. Um, she has this really cool headdress that has like these falcon wings. Um, and Are falcons or, appear... or flying creatures, you know, yeah. sacred to her? Uh, well, just because there are uh, just all, all, most, I mean, partic- in particular woodland animals, but animals in general are important to her. So, um, yeah, it, so uh, she has this cool headdress that is like these falcon wings pointed forward. Um, but she can also appear as different animals. Um, so she can take the, all the gods can take various forms. And so she will often appear as uh, as like a large woodland animal. Oh, okay. Um, she also has companions that she will uh, that she will travel with, or she will just you know hang out with. She has her Nixborn lynx. So Nixborn is basically this is a creature that is manifested out of that starfield material, Nix. So she has this Nixborn lynx named Hulma. Hulma. And then she has a nymph, a dryad, that uh, her her kind of her bestie. Is Theophilia and Theophilia is yeah. They, I mean, she has had um, through, over time. She has had these different kind of uh, dryad companions. One of them um, actually became uh, a, a monster that was cursed by Phoenix, um, the god of deceit, uh, to become Arasta, who is that uh, spider spidery monster uh, who is really terrifying. Um, but yeah, her most her. Uh, current companion is Theophilia, uh, the nymph dryad. Very cool. All right. So the final thing, uh, as we round out a lot of these segments on Theros, is why exactly Nylia is your favorite? What is it about her uh, and uh, her domains or her powers that uh, appeals to you? Other than the fact that you you know pulled it out of <laughs> a, a pack of cards for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I think that the first of all, just the the initial art is what grabbed me. Um, and the uh, yeah, the art. I mean, if you don't mind, I'm going to do a little show and tell. Sure. And we can uh, uh, show off that artwork to those of you who yeah. are watching, as well as allow you to go to the page. A lot of the artwork within Mystic Odysseys of Theros. Here, you want to move a little bit? Uh, other way, other way. There we go. Perfect. Oh, then you see. All right. Oh, oh, now I'm I'm seeing the raven's wings being her headdress there. That's fantastic. Yeah. See. So and you see, she's got her bow there, and you can see the three, uh, or the, she's got three in her quiver, and she's got one, you know, one uh, drawn already. And that's she's got autumn. her four arrows. Yeah, and so like that whole idea when when Jenna Helen kind of was walking me through that that character or that god, uh, uh, yeah, it was just that was such a compelling concept to me of the, the four seasons being kind of uh, manifested in these uh, four arrows and her just being a kind of a remote God that, that this is not a God that is in, really super interested in mortals or even super interested in other gods that she's out here kind of as, as this God of nature and nature itself was enough to sustain her. And I think that there's something very fascinating about that and what it means when mortals do interact with her. What is that story? Um, why would they seek her out? And uh, I think that, is it to is it because something there's something that is threatening nature that they would seek her out? Are people who are tired of civilization seeking her out? They're like, nope, this is the way to go. Um, I'm looking at Adam Lee right now, thinking about <laughs> <laughs> retreating into the woods. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I think that, 
yeah, I, I just, I, I love her story. Uh, and I, I, I think she's, yeah, she's, and again, I just, first, first God card I ever pulled. So, well, that can go a long way. Uh, and I think there is something really compelling about the starting of a season uh, as, a, as an arrow pulled and shot kind of feels really uh, mythic, you know, to, yeah. it, it feels and like a story that, terms, that like, humans would, would create, but here we get to see it rot. Uh, and, and you could imagine, like, if a, if, if a winter was particularly long, that had, did somebody steal... You know the autumn or the uh, the spring uh, mm. arrow. Did that is that something that ha- like? And you might have to recover that. It's like there are there are in game implications for having the seasons being bound up in these objects. Oh yeah, or uh, if they're broken somehow. Or if they're broken, right? And, and there are like all of these god weapons that are in the book. There are also ways that detail how to destroy them. So oh, well, so you, maybe you're in a race and you have to you have to uh, chase somebody down who's trying to destroy the bow and. And have an yeah. eternal winter or eternal mm-hmm. summer, uh, both of which would be uh, terrible for crops at the very least. Yep, yep. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Um, and you can also imagine her as an antagonist, as, you know, as civilization is encroaching, mm. that you know, this god of nature can become a wrathful god. Very, very cool. I see so many threads of, uh, you know, that Dungeon Masters can pick up and run with uh, for, for all these gods, but Nylea in yeah. particular. Very cool. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ari, for taking us through uh, so many of these deities and talking through Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Again, that is available everywhere now. I suggest strongly that you go to your local game store or contact them about how to pick up the alternate copy. Uh, It is a gorgeous piece of artwork uh, that has me drooling. I actually don't have a physical copy yet, so I'm seeing Ari bring it up and uh, being very envious of it. It is is glorious. As Um, you should be. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, excellent. And all of this is making me inspired. I want to I want to run a campaign or at least participate in a campaign in Theros and uh you know play with some of these great ideas because what's cool about it is not only do they talk about you know, kind of these iconic fantasy moments uh that you've been describing, but I love how it gets into the heart of like philosophy and thinking about, you know, not necessarily the 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 larger ideas of philosophy uh, philosophy in our in our existence, but then how humans create myths to deal with strange truths or things that happen in our lives and what that means. And Theros at its best, and what particularly what Theros in a Dungeons and Dragons setting can do that you can't do necessarily in a card set is explore those concepts. Right, like all of these gods are manifestations that mortals created. Ultimately, these these are mortal creations. And sustained through generations. And you can really dig into what that means. What are these, like, why these manifestations, mm. right? And I think that, that, that that's, like, you're getting right to the heart of it. And I think there's compelling stuff that, yet you have your, you know, your cinematic fights. You have those, those types of, you know, Greek myth moments. But you also have these human moments that I, I think are what are going to, that's what's going to make Theros in particular, and not simply a Greek-inspired setting, but Theros in particular as a manifestation of, or as an interpretation of Greek, uh, Greek mythology, memorable. And I think, I think we're going to have a great time with it. Awesome. Thanks again, Ari. Uh, if people want yeah, to ask you about uh, any of this, uh, how could they do so? Um, I am at Ari Levich on Twitter. Uh, as I always say, uh, I am... I am seldom on there. So again, if you have questions, I 
I hope to get to them. Excellent. Well, I uh, I hope you do. Not, I don't want to push you into being too much more of a Twitter user, but uh, we love it when you do wade in and uh, you know see what's happening. Awesome. Great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Uh, you are awesome. Theros is awesome. Pick up Mythic Odysseys of Theros when you can. And we'll be back with more fun segments uh, next week on Dragon Talk. Man, being able to discuss uh, all of those fictional deities with Ari uh, and Adam Lee over the last uh, few months has been a highlight for me. Have you enjoyed listening to them? I Shelley? really I know do. You. Well, I love mythology, so they are of interest to me. Absolutely. Uh, I hope folks are jumping into fun games or at least using some of the aspects of Theros in their home games. I know I am. Um, but uh, I think now let's turn to discussing... Uh, someone who I know who has cosplayed as a Greek hero, uh, Jay Tallsquall. Let's listen to see if he's, uh, you know, can fit the bill as uh, uh, a Spartan. Everyone, let's welcome Jay Tallsquall to Dragon Talk. Hi, Jay. Hey, how are you all doing? Very, very good. So great to be here. It's great to have have you. you. Greg's been stalking you for years and years. Yeah, it has been, uh, it is, I, I think the stalking went, for me stalking, uh, Greg, and Mutual. Sort of turned mm. around a little bit, but uh, no, I'm glad I was finally able to uh, make it on, like I said, in other circumstances, would love to come up and see you all in studio and up at y'all's place, but uh, hey, this is the next best thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we're trying to make everything work here. And you have been, uh, you know, as I said in the intro for this, uh, just all over Dungeons and Dragons community for the last Gosh, many, many years. Yeah, about um, but- three, uh, three and a half years uh, that I've uh, been around uh, doing different things. Uh, first, uh, well, uh, somewhat in just the streaming space uh, on Encounter Roleplay, but then when he became a part of uh, the, sort of the D&D family doing uh, Learn by Play, was on that for three seasons. And then I've got my own uh, campaign that I ran for charity for three and a half years. So that was a blast. Just wrapped that up after a, 140 sessions. Oh, so, 140. And that was Vice. Right. Yeah, the vice. Yeah, we uh, we uh, started off, golly, all the way back in late uh, 2017, and uh, yeah, we uh, did it 100 percent for charity. Uh, just that was sort of how we wanted to go about having both the interaction with the, our chat to let them be able to donate for dice rolls and things to happen in the game, but uh, just decided that that we were going to support different charities. And so over the course of our 140 sessions and three and a half so years, we uh, raised uh, $18,800 some odd dollars for 24 different charities. uh, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It was, uh, it was just, it was a really amazing um, thing to be a part of and to see you know, we always talk about the D&D community and just how amazing they are. You know, we you know, aren't a big dollar donation. So that was truly raised, you know, bits and dollars and $2 and $5 donations over the course of those sessions. Every once in a while, like on one of our anniversary episodes, we would have, you know, you could get like a boon for a character or something for a $25 or $50 donation. But for the most part, that was... Uh, Two, three, five dollar donations, and for the cast, we had swear jar as well. So there, there <laughs> oh, was a little mm. bit that went uh, That's a good idea. from the cast uh, from for the swear jar. Sometimes it'd be like, 
I'm putting my money in right now because <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm drop gonna a twenty something. in here because yeah, I know what pay we're forward headed. for everything to come. This F That's bomb amazing. is worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Right. So uh, the people, uh, fans watching, could make a donation and then impact some part of the game. Correct. Uh, we okay. had everything. One of the big ones that most people, you know, we had one thing was a healing die that as a free action, like during combat, you could have a D10 uh, healing die. Which was a dollar, you know, it was a dollar to donate a, a D10 healing die. You know, not game changing, but you know, lets people be involved with. And I can tell you, you as a DM, you start planning for that, knowing because uh, we had we're a for a long time we're a kind of healerless clericless party. So that was sort okay. of why we started this was because you know we had a bard, and then we ended up having a multi class cleric, but we really didn't have a dedicated you know healer in our party. So it was pretty much potions. And uh, and healing die for the chat for a lot of our uh, for a lot of our experience, and um, so that actually it was uh, kind of interesting. We ended up with almost the chat being being our healer. Well, that's yeah. cool. They 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 were the cleric. Yeah, they were the cleric, and that's so that was uh, that was it was interesting. And again, you know, it was su- it was at a price point. You know, people could do either bits or could do just a dollar donation, and so it it did let people feel like they were a part of the combat. You know, that, you know, as the combat's going on, we had six players. So, you know, it would take a little while for a round to go through, but you would see where, okay, someone's getting low on health and here would come a healing die for the chat from the chat to keep them up and keep them going. So were there any boons for the dungeon master? Any ways that you could kind of trick the players a little? Um, we we <laughs> did have a couple. Uh, I, one of the things that we had was, was luck die. Uh, we started off doing that you could donate an actual 20, but... Oh. Even us as uh, as players, you know, having the auto success, you know, when it started to take away some of the, the fun of it. So we did it. That would be a reroll. That if you had a bad D20 roll, you could roll it again. Um, and uh, that was our one of our higher donations. I believe those were $5 or $10. But uh, that's what I would usually, they would donate to the DM was that if I had a bad roll that I could, uh, that I could reroll it. But for the most part, I think... The donations for me were some of the boons that I got to make up. Uh, we had a sentient weapon that was gifted that became a huge part of our story. Um, we had one that was given like on week 10 that didn't literally come into effect until session 139, which was our tabaxi. When I was a boon for our tabaxi, no one knew what it would be. I just say each character has a boon. I've always set aside what it is. And we ended up that over the course of this month that we were doing this, people um, had donated to each character. And the backseat, of course, was an extra life. You know, it's a cat, right? So uh, they had an extra life. Didn't know it through the entire game. Never died literally until session, like, 139. Uh, Whoa, a, 139 yeah. out of 140. Out of 140, okay. yeah. <laughs> Rolled in that one on death saving throws. And when they were doing this huge ceremony with like summoning an undead dragon, it, so it was perfect story-wise that wow. you know that's what finally did them in, and lo and behold, uh, go sort of into the uh, afterlife into the fe- into through the veil, and his his mother, who of course tragic backstory, was there and kisses him on the forehead and sends him back and says, oh. you know. Uh, you know, it's not your time yet. And so it was just, it was this <gasps> That perfect, gives me goosebumps. It was perfect. It was just this perfect thing that, you know, he was ready to sacrifice himself to save the world, to summon this this undead dragon, basically a good 
you know, Draco Lich type idea and sacrificed his life. Here comes the death saving throw, rolls a natural one. So everyone thinks like, yeah, no, he's like, I'm not using a luck die. This is perfect. Goes through and lo and behold, I can pull this sticky note off. It's like, I've been holding on to this for literally 120 sessions. Wow. And oh, it is my God. an extra life for our wizard. <laughs> that That's is great. amazing. D&D, man, right? <laughs> right? Where all, I mean, everybody likes to say that humans can make stories out of everything, but like that's that's what it is, right? Is you take these random bits and memories and and all of a sudden you can kind of craft it and the Dungeon Master do that all the time, but it's also like great when it happens with the players, with the audience, with everyone happening and contributing to this cooperative storytelling. You're right, that's D&D. Well, and I, I'm sure you all have experienced this. There are weird moments in D&D where you're just kind of like, there's something bigger happening here where the dice just fall. That the you know that that narrative beat or story that you're wanting to tell, and the dice cooperate, mm-hmm. or even that the dice don't cooperate, but you know allow that moment, that natural one on a death saving throw when raising you know an undead dragon. You know normally just be oh no, but ended up being this great story beat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. Those moments are so wonderful when they happen. It's like the, the story that you never dreamed of telling just unfolds right before you. Oh, yeah. and, of, and of course you couldn't, you could not have planned that. But what? And if you had, it would have felt false. It would have felt well, not right. Yeah. yeah. That's the crazy part is, you know, we've had so many of those times, you know, where you were so sure you know, characters and DM, this was the direction that this story was going to go. And then the dice fall and it goes in this new direction that is so much better and greater than anything you were expecting or planning or even just in everyone's narrative voice thinking, yep, that's kind of how this is going to unfold. Um yeah, that's that's how we ended up having a uh, basically a drag race across some salt flats between uh, a dinosaur and a dragon. Um, dragon flying a dinosaur, po- our polymorph party member as a T Rex, basically <laughs> racing a silver dragon across the salt flats to meet to try to get to this final destination they were going to do it. And again, that was. Never my wildest dreams. Like one of my characters, I was like, "Oh yeah, you all level up." And my uh, again, same wizard. He's just like, "Well, I've got this wand of polymorph. What level was that dinosaur we saw? Like, you know, six months ago?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, that orc." Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the most D and D sentences ever. Too of like, we were just a, our polymorph body member drag racing across a salt flat to get. To, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah sure. Love happen. it, I love it, and D&D. congratulations on like making it 140 sessions. I mean, I've, yeah, I've done a bunch of dungeon mastering, mostly one shots and things like that, but I've never gotten to that level of uh, uh, storytelling to get to that you know beginning, middle, and end of a campaign. It we all. Um, are kind of amazed that we got there. We uh, we did have one player who uh, wasn't able to make it through all of it, but you know that we were able to have uh, six players basically be there through the entire uh, arc and stick with it. And you know, for us, one of the interesting parts is you know we were always um, 
on a virtual tabletop because my cast, you know, we have someone who lives in Australia, someone who lives in New Zealand, a cast member who is in, uh, out, out in uh, Canada, two of us are in Florida, and then one is over in England. Oh, wow. So, oh, Oh yeah. So oh, we the scheduling. What time? What time did you guys play? On, two o'clock on <laughs> on Saturdays. Oh my god! And it literally is my Australian and my New Zealand uh, players would wake up Sunday morning. Yeah. That, you know they'd be drinking coffee while you know my player in England is having a Guinness at you know ten o'clock at night um, as we we're playing because it was the only time we could all get together. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it uh, it all worked out and I think we all just got so invested in it um, after a short time and I will say having it be streamed and knowing you had a show to make yeah you know most people would sort of try to make it and I will say it's always nice when you do have that many players and the number of stories we had interwoven you know if you did if you were one player down you went ahead and went forward you know um we were a heavy role play group. So it wasn't like there was a combat necessarily every week. And so there was lots of times that we did go with only five out of the six players. But for the most part, I think that also kept it going is people are like, yeah, well, if you're not there, we're still playing. <laughs> and so I think, you know, people do get invested knowing that, that, uh, that the story moved on um, and want to be back part of it. Now, certainly streaming and having everything on YouTube helped a ton as well because they could go watch and yeah. see what happened. Mm. And, you know, for the most part, you know, we knew each other's characters well enough of like, well, they hung in the background or, you know, if it was our rogue, rogue was off doing, you know, roguey things, you know, it's like, I'd be like, yeah, you arrived back to the party. You have 10 extra gold. Don't know where that came from. Mm. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about it, shall we? <laughs> That's, so as the you were the dungeon master of the whole time for 140 Correct. episodes, and this is a camp, the homebrew campaign. Homebrew campaign. So yes. when you started, mm-hmm. you obviously didn't know like, oh, this is going to be 140 sessions. Like you don't know that. So like, how do you how do you plan a story, a campaign, without really knowing the end, like where it ends? Well, I did something. It's interesting. I got a lot of heat for this because I was a new DM. I had played all the way back in uh, second edition. So I had played way back in second edition, then sort of took a big break until, like most people, I I discovered Critical Role, got me super excited about doing it again, um, and uh, then wanted to, to hop in and try it again. And what I had was I sort of had, almost from day one, these what I call destiny arcs, which was, hey... If everything goes right, what is this character's destiny? After they, we'd have backstories and talked about, about their characters, help them develop their characters, and me knowing the story of this world that I had put together, um, it was sort of, I, I kind of made these, what I, I call destiny arcs, of this is kind of where I think, if everything goes right, this is where they might end up. Some of them followed their arc. Some of them went a completely different way. Some of those went left, right, and center um, around it. But um, did you make those public? Did, you, did the I didn't audience make them know public those? Because I didn't want the characters to know. I made it public that I had made them. And that, I got a huge, 
I got the internet's great for feedback. I got <laughs> lots of feedback. that's the most positive statement I think I've ever heard. In my I know, life. right? That's I mean, are you sure you're not in PR? <laughs> I know that's some great spin there. Um, about that, I was railroading my party and railroading the campaign uh, last, you know, that I, you know, how how dare I? I don't understand. How dare you? How dare I? Um, but um, it's part of the reason, you know, I had a plan, and I think that the characters would feel that. The other thing that I had, the world had a destiny arc. Mm. So if the party decided to... You know, if they never came together, if they never came together, I had what is going to happen to the world. And so I had, you know, I called it the the world machine that I always told my party, my players about is, you know, the world machines keeping on moving. It is those, those gears and cogs of the world machine are still moving. They're, you know, our main big bad. She had a plan that was tied to this, you know, celestial convergence, um, you know, in the world that we started the campaign. It was six months out from this convergence. And basically, you know, if they decided to drink in taverns and get into bar fights, her plan was going to move forward and continue along its path. It was, you know, as they uncover this sort of plot and what's going on and these things that have occurred in the world and as they're discovering it, because I think, you know, them again realizing the world, especially you know, when it was a level four character, doesn't revolve around them yet. Yeah. And I think that, you know, knowing where the world was going to end up, and then kind of how, if everything goes right, how can these six characters change the world? Um, I went into it with sort of that planned out. A lot of stuff left on the drawing board. A lot of stuff changed oh, okay. completely. Yeah. Um, I, I keep talking about our wizard, but our wizard had this, you know, we started off that he was out looking for this society that always kept the secrets. Um, he ended up about halfway through, um, through, you know, magic happens, basically created a golem that then became a real boy. And so suddenly the campaign was about his son. His mm. story, you know, the, all of the stuff about trying to find the secret society and find this knowledge was left behind because what he found was most important wasn't the secrets of the world. It was raising his son. And That's so cool. even that became a great story of, yeah. you know, this wizard who was all about knowledge, all about discovering the secrets. And, you know, the biggest secret of all, you know, it's kind of like that, that yeah. meme with the thing, you know, is the fact that, you know, he being a father and having a son was the most important secret that uh, he discovered. And that Aww. was unplanned? Unplanned. Okay, so listening to you talk about this, this is what blows my mind about D&D every time, is imagine you're pitching a novel, but mm-hmm. and the novel is what you're talking about. I mean, like, I'm hooked. You're like, and the biggest secret of all was raising his son and like, you know, none of the other important stuff. That was not planned. This is just a story that just evolved. Yep. And yet hearing you talk about it, I'm like, mm-hmm, keep going. Yeah, I, I like where you're going. You know, like, this is like a pitch. Like, it's, and it's just a story that you and your friends told together. Dice. I Dice. Mean, we, uh, yeah, we, uh, 
on that one, you know, it was interesting. We, I, in my homebrew world, I had this whole sort of other piece of magic called these dragon rooms because he was torn on being a sorcerer and wizard. I was like, well, tell you what, I'm happy to, let's keep you as a wizard. And instead of you multi-classing and, you know, if you just want him to be really focused on dragons, I'm going to make up this whole sort of dragon rune side things. And it was these runes that sort of represent big things. You know, it was life, death, blood, uh, cosmos, you know, basically a lot of the homebrewed spells and other things. I will say, uh, I know we all love Cobalt Press. That's what I use, That's how I integrated a lot of Cobalt Press's deep magic uh, mm. into my world was I turned them into these dragon rooms that he would be able to utilize. So it was like a once per day type idea to utilize a dragon room. And one of them was life. And I started off with a life piece of, oh, you can make these little golems, you know, the, using combat. And the player just was amazing. He does the first one, like the lowest level, which was supposed to be, you know, it's a golem that lasts for, you know, I think it was like a D6 or D8 minutes type idea. And he just paints this scene of him creating this little, basically a baby Groot type idea. And um, his face lights up as the player and as the character as he's telling this story. And I sort of, you know, it looks sort of, you know, this little construct looks up at you and he goes, I look down and go, hello there, I'm Mm -hmm. your dad. And it was just like, it was this moment. And we were just like, luckily it was right at the end of the session. And so we we went ahead and cut there and I was like. Ooh, that's a good ending. Oh yeah. It was was (laughs) one of those moments where you're just like, yep, it doesn't get any better than this. And he kept using the room to bring back this, Sun and eventually, so you know, as a DM, you can't just like, nope, sorry, only ever lasts for six minutes. No, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, so it became this whole thing of him being able to build this construct so then it could stay, you know, alive all the time and, you know, crucible of souls and into the, you know, into the, the into uh, the uh, shadow fell and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Later, he has a son that's basically the first Warforged. And it turned up, you know, we, that's how we introduced Warforge is that literally our wizard made the first Warforge in the world. I love that. And that was, I mean, when, when Jeremy Crawford and I were talking about uh, releasing the Eberron book, you know, he was like, that's a great way to introduce it. Like, what if, what if your campaign is about how these are introduced in your, in your campaign and you were doing it already and it worked perfectly? Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. You can sort of see the different releases of different things that come out. <laughs> and how they came into your campaign. <laughs> it's like, hey, look, Aladrin are here. I suddenly, you know, I have an Aladrin. You know? <laughs> and so we did it. I mean, it was very interesting because over the course of those three years, this sort of renaissance of D&D, you know, I think when we first started, I guess it was probably just Sword Coast was out. Mm. I, you know, so I don't even think maybe Morden Canaan's was, is that's the next one, right? No, I'm Morning Cans no, was um, 2018, wasn't it? So anyway, yeah. but you know, literally as books and books and books were added on and it was about the time that Eberron was released. I happened I was playing in a campaign, an Eberron campaign on another station that had a Warforged in it and it just clicked. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is what they're doing." Yeah. This is this is what's happened. This is these dragon runes, this old ancient magic, you know, have suddenly introduced Warforged 
you know, on this world. So it was cool. It, you know, it's just D and D. I think I, you're man. inspiring Shelley. I think so you're going to you, start. I, yes, I actually am. I love so many of these ideas. I really, I'm just listening to you talk and how you're like, this is important to my players. So let me find a way to make all of these things work for you and work for the campaign. And then like, you're ending up with also like really amazing storytelling hooks throughout all of it. But I love how you're, you're working with the players. We, I think always from very early on, and I think I, frankly, it didn't take long for me to figure out. I had a very, this is my world for like about four or five sessions. And finally I realized, wow, if I, every time I hand over the reins and loosen up the grip and really let the players run with what, you know, what they see, what they do, the story becomes so much richer than anything that I could have imagined. So I would say, well, we had a very, really powerful episode, about episode 10 or 11, um, which it was one of those really risky episodes. We had, talking about safety systems and things like that, you know, we had a lot of trust built up and I let people know we were going to, all the way from the beginning, we have uh, a world which has had a, a, a huge racial prejudice piece of it for the Genasi and the Tiefling. They were blamed on the fall, for the fall of magic in my world. And my very good friend who I played with before, uh, Alicia, um, who is a black woman, uh, said she wanted to play a Genasi. And so it made mm. it just this incredible way to be able to explore um, explore this and explore it in a way that was very real to a lot of us. And so that episode, like I said, right, it's, uh, you know, uh, The Race for Verdant Falls, it's like episode 11, was the first time, because they'd sort of been out in the countryside, that they come face-to-face with, some of the uh, prejudice in the world. Um, and the players did phenomenally with it. And we all, at the end of it, I mean, we spent probably about an hour and a half to two hours sort of decompressing from the end of it because we touched on a lot of really, uh, really tough topics. Um, things that, you know, again, you don't want to do without your players being invested. I mean, we were, yeah. there was human trafficking involved. There was a religious persecution. There was gaslighting. There was uh, just a lot um, in that session. It's one of those, it's one of the few that we've put up a content warning on. Yeah. Um, but it was so powerful at the end of it. Um, you know, and by that was episode 10. And I think at that, after that session, I think pretty much everyone was, we're, we're in this to the end. Invested. Yeah. yeah. We're invested. That's to good. see yeah. where this goes. And it's, kudos to you for, for making sure that, you know, you guys had talked, you talked about that ahead of time and that you knew yeah. that those were well, the, just, the topics you, you were going to be investing You have in. to, you know, um, and to share, again, to make it this collaborative storytelling, everyone's like, oh, we're well, going to ruin the surprise. There were still plenty of surprises, even though yeah. they knew 
what topics were coming in. We found that more and more along. I mean, that whole, the dragon versus dinosaur, uh, you know, race, you know, was in a, started off in a text of, you know, during the week of my player asking, hey, what level was that dinosaur? And so, I mean, I'd originally had that scene of like, okay, you know, they're going to do, you know, they're going to be high. There's no way they're going to beat the dragon. The dragon's get there first. I've got this whole thing lined up. It's this big, giant, elaborate trap. And they're like, what if we turn into a dinosaur? Well, okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it suddenly became so much better than what I had planned. I mean, no matter how sneaky of a plan that I had put up for my, our big villain came nowhere near to the joy of not only having this giant skill trick race between the dragon and the dinosaur, but then them actually getting to face, you know, their, the big bad who was supposed to get away right then, right there, early on in the campaign, they were such the underdogs. And, you know, lucky for all of us, um, you know, I had written the TPK. I mean, it was written. <laughs> I mean, the one was going to save the TPK was that extra life from the wizard, Right. Right. Um, so I was one of the reasons I was willing to go forward with this. I was like, you guys are not going to win this fight. They were very clever. The dice fell their way. And, you know, the whole, the second end of part of the campaign completely changed because the big bad was dead. We were like erased from fate dead. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, yeah. all right, well, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. That's collaborative television. That's so good. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, your beard is amazing, by the way. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're purple. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, it's the uh, ace uh, Yes, it is colors. the ace pride flag. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a term that uh, a lot of people are learning about now. So, I mean, what's something that you can, can tell our listeners about uh, what that means and what that means within the D&D community? So, yeah, so the ace, uh, aces is short for folks who are uh, identified on the asexual uh, spectrum. The, it is a part of that whole spectrum is uh, asexuality, uh, aromantic, and also demisexual and demiromantic, which is a whole lot of words for basically folks who don't experience sexual attraction in sort of the, the way that most people uh, think about along the other spectrums of uh, queer and, and hetero world. Um, and a lot of people aren't aware, I mean, I certainly wasn't, I mean, I'm going on, I'm going on 49. Um, you know, it was something that when I finally discovered it was a huge relief because, you know, up until that point, it was sort of like, I'm broken. You know, mm. it was this, everyone else is so obsessed. We have a very um, uh, sex-saturated culture in the media and everything that we consume. And it just, it was something that I never quite, I just couldn't engage with. It was something that never um, was something that uh, really I understood or could understand how people could be so controlled by those portions of their life. And so when I found out about asexuality, um, it clicked for me. It was just like, okay, wow. Um, and, you know, luckily through the internet and everything else was able to reach out and uh, talk with some other people about it. It wasn't until actually uh, 2018 at Gen Con where I sort of became public with my asexuality. I was in my private life and with people I knew, knew that's how I identified, but I you know, never, I would say it's the first time I wore my colors in public. Um, it was at Gen Con. And I will say it was very much because of the influence of the D&D community and the mm. TTRPG community. 
um, and how uh, vocal and visible everyone was there. And, you know, good friends of mine who were, in fact, some of my players were the, were the reason that I sort of had the confidence uh, to even do that. And it's been amazing since I started using my Twitter as a platform that the number of people who have either DM'd me or responded to messages I send out about how that's clicking for them as well, that they never quite understood what, you know, why, thing, why things were just so different uh, for them. And there's very little representation out there. It was one of the questions we even, we all talked to each other before we started recording our panels, like, hey, do we have a list or something that of good asexual representation that we can talk about and we all sort of start really digging deep and hard and start Googling. And we're just like, okay, if we have to dig that hard, you know, you know, that, that tells us, I mean, and so we are going to you know, put together a document to release when the panel releases, but I mean, it's one of those big things that especially, um, uh, you know, one of the big things that we see in so many of our stream games in our, you know, the big stream games from critical role all the way down to little tiny people like the vice, you know, is the shipping community. Oh, these two people should be in a really, Oh, it's all about the smooching. Oh, they should get together. Oh, mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, the, you know, art and fiction, everything else. And, you know, it can be a very frightening space for, uh, asexual people mm. to, uh, that suddenly they're forced into that. In fact, that's one of the lines and veils we talked about that a lot of uh, asexual role players put that on there is that they don't want forced shipping uh, from their DMs or from their other players. On the same note, there's some that we, you know, if you're with a group you want to trust, like, you know what, I would like to explore that. You know, role playing is a wonderful form. I hate to say it as therapy, (laughs) but it lets you try to experience in someone else's shoes some things that either scare you or that you've been curious about. I know a lot of people do it with their uh, sexual identity, um, are able to help discover themselves through their role play. And so that is, uh, you know, a lot of what we talked about is, you know, how you can represent asexual relationships that, oh, they're holding hands. Okay, the sex happens in two hours. To uh, you know, uh, you know. I mean, it's. But I mean, every TV show out there, right? Oh, they looked longing in each other's eyes. Three episodes, so they're having sex. Um, you know, or the tension that oh, this whole season is going to be building up towards you know the when they finally you know have sex. And so, how do you show a non-sexual loving relationship? And what is that? And how yeah. does that differ? but also be just as valid as a sex-based one. Um, and well, so one of the big things that you know, we talk about is, because it does get a little bit complicated, is you know, aromanticism, which is a romantic relationship that some people don't feel romantic attraction. Um, which is, you know, those things that we typically think of romance of, you know, holding hands, going, you know, candlelight dinners, dancing, you know, in the moonlight, things like that, you know, is sort of on that aromantic spectrum. Um, The big third one, which even I surprised some of my uh, 
fellow panelists about is the aesthetic attraction piece, which a lot of people, it's just now uh, psychologists and a lot of papers are being written about, is there's actually a third leg to that table, which what is you, what are you aesthetically uh, attracted to? Um, you know, not that in a sexual way, not in a romantic way, it's just like, hey, I admire, you know, that uh, person, that, that uh, like for me, I consider myself homoesthetic. I find the male body more aesthetically attractive than the female form. Um, I, it plays into my fitness, into my bodybuilding, into my cosplay. That's just, it, it's how I'm wired. Um, that is entirely different from a romantic, uh, you know, what my, my romantic attraction is and what my sexual attraction is. Mm. And so, you know, just the education piece of that alone is, I mean, it's a lot to swallow and a lot for people to, because for a lot, you know, whatever the percentage is of people, all three of those things are aligned. You know, the person that you are aesthetically attracted to is the person that you want to have be romantic with. And it's the person you want to have sex with. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's all, it's a pillar and not necessarily a thing that can be spread out into three different legs. And that was a whole decade of me figuring out who I was because for a very long time, I just assumed I was gay because I thought guys were attractive. You know, that was who I, that was who I was looking at in gym class. You know, it was like, I want to look like that guy. That's the way I want to look. That's how, you know, that's what I find aesthetically pleasing, you know, and you know, in South Georgia in the 80s. That means you're gay. <laughs> so, uh, no, so I, it, it was, I mean, it was a big education piece. And it's interesting as I talk to more and more people about that, and it's funny, uh, a lot of the people in the fitness community, they're like, oh, well, yeah. It kind of clicks you know, for them a little a bit. A lot of it? bodybuilders, a lot of uh, both female and male athletes are, uh, who are, are physique athletes, are, homo aesthetic they are more you know attracted to that body that they are trying to build for themselves that's amazing yeah that makes a, a lot of sense like hearing you say that it makes yes it makes a lot of yeah. sense i mean you don't work that hard <laughs> you know you know it's it's truly i mean it's kind of one of those i've had a lot of people just like wow yeah duh <laughs> yeah and i mean and and i want to I feel like I'm giving you lots of kudos over the course of this entire conversation, but uh, you being able to explain that so succinctly, uh, you know, in this interview as well as in your online, you know, presence um, has educated me. You know, I feel like I understand a lot more about uh, those terms and and what it means in very simple ways. And I think Dungeons and Dragons, you're right, is a way for people to explore that. Uh, aspect of themselves, and we've had many guests before. We've talked about how it's awakened things with their gender identity or their or their uh, sexual orientation, um, you know. But it's really interesting to me to be like, oh well, of course I want to play a, a fighter or a, a paladin uh, type characters because they have that, you know, that that uh, the, that physique and that aesthetic that you're that you're searching for, uh, mm -hmm. and that makes so much more sense, um, you know. And then I, I immediately start going back to people I've known in my past who were. You know, now I can see we're aromantic or asexual, uh, and you know, as and I can I can only offer sympathy to folks growing up who had that type of thing. Oh, well, they'll grow out of it, or they will meet someone and they're going to finally have that thing click within them. 
you know, and I uh, might have even said some of those things because of, of how the media and everything kind of, you know, it's just the norm. That's what you do and that's what mm-hmm. happens. And again, I congratulate you for being able to discuss it in terms and in ways that feels just so natural and real, you know, and it feels like, oh, well, that's that's just how they're wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, um, they're, and my, like you say, myself included, but, uh, you know, very much it was, you know, oh, I just, ha- you know, I kept being told you haven't found the right person. You know, you, if you, once you find the right person and, you know, whether, whether it was male or female, once you find the right person, then, you know, you'll know and everything will click and it'll be this wonderful, beautiful, you know, experience and, you know, your whole world will open up and it's like, yeah, I'm 49. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've met a lot of people in my I life. Met a yeah. lot of people. And you know, that just hasn't clicked. You know, back when I was doing cosmetics, you know, I was looking like a male model. I was hanging around with people who looked yeah. like male rottos, and still there wasn't nothing. I'm thinking that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think it's really got to be freeing to have this vocabulary to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing for me and I'm an engineer by trade. So to have your know, words matter, you know, it, we're in a world where words, words seem to have less and less matter, uh, uh, matter, but just being able to have those three different words to go like, no, you know, aesthetic attraction, romantic attraction and sexual attraction, and they can all be completely unique to you. I mean, it's, it's like your red, green, blue sliders, you know, of how different you can make your, your picture look by, uh, by sliding those around. And I, once I sort of figured out, yeah, well, I'm definitely here on this one and there on that one and there on this one, it just became, you know, so very clear. And I mean, for myself, so much of my anxiety and mental, um, just not, you know, again, when you walk around your whole life feeling broken, um, there, it, it, it weighs on you. Yeah. Um, and, and where even it, well-meaning people could reinforce things that just make you feel horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, you know, even with the whole thing of the, you know, the jokey, but kind of, you know, unfortunately what sticks, you know, the all male, all men think about is sex. I mean, we've mm-hmm. all heard people say that, that, you know, 100% that, you know, if, if you're a man, all you do is think about sex. Yeah. Well, or suddenly that... when you're a man who doesn't think that way and can't figure out why you don't think that way, you know, it, it, it's very alienating. I mean, that was why I was, you know, the geek in the corner, you know, playing D&D. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we Second edition, I had that monster manual with the big three ring binder. I used to take it in my backpack to work, to school. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, what was it? I mean, maybe there's a connection there. What was it about Dungeons and Dragons, other than it being something that uh, you know was was a fun pastime? Do you think there was something in that role playing that you know let you let it be a solace for you? Um, well, I, certainly there absolutely was. I mean, I've always you know read you know I read all the Dragonlance books like when they were first coming out. I mm. read. Uh, the Malorian, the Belgariad, I mean, the Tolkien books. So I was always a- attracted to it. And I also, from a very young age, I mean, I used to, we have big family reunions in my family. My mom's one of 10 kids. And so we always would get together and have a big family reunion. One of the big things we do is tell stories around the campfire. And 
you know, before I even really even knew what D&D was, we used to play, do a, a game around the campfire where everyone would tell a piece of the story and then you pass it to the person to your left. And then they tell the oh. next piece. They tell the next piece around the campfire. And that's how the kids, you know, basically kept themselves entertained when you're out in the middle of, you know, farm country uh, in northern Florida, uh, you know, at a family reunion. Um, and so in a weird way, we were already, because we we did, everyone sort of had their character and what they were doing. I mean, I can remember we told a story and we told a story at the Paradise Saloon, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those great ones. And then when it wasn't that, it was ghost stories and that we'd each tell a ghost story around the campfire. So I'd always sort of been a storyteller and to have a way sort of to gamify that, I thought was really neat. I also have always enjoyed uh, fantasy art um, both for, you know, uh, the aesthetic piece of it, but also, I mean, gosh, that monster manual. I can remember mm. that monster manual and the fact that, you know, you'd flip through those pages and, the, you know, you know, I, the, me, engineer geek, the fact that, you know, oh, I can put it in whatever order I want, you know, <laughs> because yeah. it was a three-ring binder. That was a big deal for me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm that level of, of engineer geekiness. I mean, you should see my Google drive folders for my campaign of 140 <laughs> sessions. It's that bad. Um, everything deserves a spreadsheet. But um, Man, I, I, no, need I think that. that's, you know, <laughs> the art certainly attracted me to it. But, you know, I was always into role-playing games and, you know, going and being the hero when I felt so unlike a hero in my life. You know, when I felt that I was, uh, I mean, just backs up a little bit. I didn't discover working out till like it was 30. So up oh. until then I was, the, you know, the skinny, uh, you know, the very skinny, very small, uh, tall, lanky guy. Um, and so I really did not, it was a way, you know, it was you know, wish fulfillment of, you know, being able to play this big, strong character, like someone who I wanted to be like, and, you know, who, you know, could vanquish, uh, you know, vanquish, the foes or the monsters or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And there is that, that part about, you know, fitting in because you're, you're part of this group. You're, you're, you have a party and it's in D and D it's, it's okay to, to be different mm-hmm. because there's elves and there's tieflings and the, you know, there's all Absolutely. of these, these different types of characters out there and, ev- and everybody coexists together. So there is that kind of comfort in playing oh, as well. You can see that. Well, it's if you follow the rules, you can play the game and you're a part of a group. I mean, it, which, you know, when you aren't good at socializing or whatever, it, it's, a, it's a great crutch to have, you know, of the, hey, I know the rules. I know what, you know, I'm, uh, you play, what, play nice with others and, you know, you get to, you know, be a part of something. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you discovered D and D fitness, or you discovered fitness, fitness. Uh, when you were thirty, uh, which is you know only a scant nineteen years ago. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you you've transformed your uh, love of that and cosplay into the hashtag D and D fitness, uh, and you know as Shelley was saying, it's an inspiration as for, for for a lot of people out there to combine these things that at first you feel like are not in the same you know, Venn diagram, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, you know, first thing, let me just say D&D Fitness uh, has been this amazing, uh, you know, community effort. Uh, it started off with me a couple years ago, you know, 
uh, trying to help people who, about the same time Jocks Machina was happening on Critical Role, um, I was having people ask me about fitness because they knew about my cosplay. And so some people who knew me through the D&D community would reach out and say, hey, what can I do to start just doing something better, either hearing about that I had started late in life or whatever. And so I started off with this whole thing where we would, we, you know, we rolled level one, uh, magic missile push-ups. So roll your, roll your D4s and however, whatever comes up on the dice, you owe that many push-ups over the course of the entire day. Nice. Um, was how this, how, how it all started. And, um, you know, got a huge response back to that people videoing from like them in the, in airport terminals and you <laughs> know, in their living rooms and wherever of doing their D and D pushups for the day. So, you know, we started doing these sort of challenges and we started leveling up and doing more and more things. And, um, you know, because life and work are life and work, uh, outside of D where finally became a day where it's like, Oh my gosh, I you know, today's the day I need to send out a thing, but I don't have my dice with me. I'm in this meeting. And so I just sort of sent out to him and said, hey, can someone roll up a challenge for today? And about 10 people sent in their challenges. And I'm like, you know, why am I taking all of this on myself? You know, this should be all of us. You know, everyone's journey is different. I don't have any better information than anyone else. I can tell people how I got where I am and what that I'm doing. But hey, there's people out there who you know, wanted to modify their push-ups into minutes of yoga or others who are marathon runners who are like, can I do this for kilometers? And so you know, there was a quick, short, brief time where it was you know, D&D fitness yoga, D&D fitness running, D&D fitness. And finally, it just was like, hey, you know what? We're all just one big group. Whatever your journey is, just share it. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us what you're eating. Tell us what you're what you did healthy today. Tell us that you're not feeling great today. And is anyone else also not feeling great? And maybe we can all get back on the wagon together tomorrow. Mm. Um, and uh, so it just became this sort of movement uh, of folks really um, reaching out to each other. And just by having a hashtag that you can look at when you're not feeling motivated to get that workout in, to do something, whether it's walk around the block, whether it's walk to get your mail, you know, or whether it's to go on a 10K run, you know, that you can click on that hashtag and see all these faces of people who are taking pictures because they want to hike in, you know, the North Carolina mountains or someone else who, you know, is walking over by a lake or another person who is doing a push-up challenge or someone else who's doing stretch, you know, found this great stretching video. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, I've been amazed. I've been motivated. I've been inspired by so many people and their journeys that they are taking and sharing. Um, I, I just, I'm in, I'm in awe at this point that it has grown as much as it has, and that luckily, um, so many people have found it and found inspiration from it. Yeah, I I love it. I, I often just search for for the hashtag just to see what's up with D and D fitness because I it's just it's exciting to see people who are either just starting their fitness journeys or their health journeys and people who are showing the transformation, you know, from the journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, like you started that, like you, you really, it really does inspire. And, you know, research shows that the the best way to be successful in your fitness and health journey is to have that community support around you, which is why, you know, programs like, 
like Weight Watchers or successful because they had the in-person meetings. And, you know, that's essentially what we're doing, you're doing with the D&D community. So well done. I mean, it's like you say, I mean, I I can list off a whole bunch of names of people, you know, people who've lost 50 pounds, 20 pounds, who've, Mm -hmm. you you know, started new programs, who've done things. I mean, it's interesting because it used to be cosplay was always sort of what I would drive my fitness goals towards, you know, and it, you know, for that, Hey, here's the picture of me looking like that character at the end of my journey. Um, and I was having a hard time finding something to really inspire me again, to sort of go down this journey. And certainly with uh, quarantine and everything like that, I, I fell way off of sort of my cosplay shape. And um, I did a post about a uh, big old long rant about, you know, people talking about dad bod and, and Zach Efron. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And I realized how many people don't understand what an illusion those photos that they're seeing on Instagram or in cosplay photos or whatever. I mean, I I tried to show, hey, here's me as a Spartan and here's me 12 hours later. And you can, I mean, it's obvious difference. I mean, you time it down to the hour for a photo shoot like that. You know, stars, when they know they've got their shirtless scene or their sex scene or their, you know, that big money shot of them on the beach, you know, they have trainers who get them literally ready. And it's like that shot happens at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, you know, because that's when they're going to look in the condition that you, Mr. Producer and director want them to look like. Yes. And so one of the things that I'm doing this time, instead of just doing my normal before and after is I'm trying to share my whole journey. And it's really inspired me that this time people understand, you know, no, it really is, you know, 24 weeks, you know, half a year between that before and the after. And this is how slow the progress is that, you know, it's, you know, you see this tiny little difference from week to week and just, and eventually it does all start adding up. And so you get further and further away and comparing back, you're like, oh no, there really is a big change. But each one of those was this tiny step that a lot of times even the camera or yourself isn't seeing. Right. It's only over that time period. And, you know, that's why people get discouraged, right? They're yeah, like, I've been sure. working out for a month and I don't look any different. And the scale hasn't moved. Yeah. You know, I've often told you, it's like, yeah, it's six or eight weeks before you even begin to notice. You know, it's 12 weeks before other people are going to start to really notice. And that shouldn't be like the only metric to your success is like, well, mm-hmm. the scale didn't move or like my pants are still super tight. But like I always think about, I have this super skinny friend who, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you would look at the skinny friend and you would be like, "Oh my gosh, she's perfect. Her body is oh, it's, I it's it Greg Tito." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, just super thin, looked great in a bikini, and you would think like that is the pillar of health. Oh no, like she couldn't, she couldn't open a jar of pickles. I mean, like, like she has zero muscle. She couldn't do three push-ups, and like so. You have to like think about little things like this. Like, you know, the scale didn't move, but I did. I got up and I walked to get my mail and I'm actually not as out of breath as I usually am. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. Or even just like the decision of like, I'm hungry and I actually ate like a piece of string cheese instead of a bag of chips like I normally would. Like you have to Mm -hmm. count all those small victories. And that's what like I see people doing in this hashtag is like, you know, like 
I did this thing that I normally would not be getting accolades for or even thinking it's a big thing. And people are responding to it with being positive about it. It's all part of the journey, man. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that is the, the biggest thing is like you say, it's those victories and, you know, I've tried to reinforce it. It's like, yeah, my picture between last week and this week, doesn't like, but hey, I know I put in the time. I'm feeling better about myself. Yeah. I, you know, um, you know, I, I know this is a journey. And, you know, like you say, I mean, you know, I, when I opened up the refrigerator, I, you know, I reached for the celery sticks instead of for the pretzels or for, you know, the peanut butter or, hey, you know, I, I ate breakfast you know, every day this week, you know, of instead of having just coffee and toast, yeah. you know, had my egg whites. So I got my protein in early, um, you know, just those little habit things are such big victories. Yeah, they really are. And especially in an unsure time like this, I mean, I think it was what, two nights ago that I was like, I'm having either cookie doughs or cookie dough or beer, you know, which one is it? And you know what? It's okay. Yep. Yeah. That's the big thing is that, it is all right that you're going to have a day like that where it's like, you know what? I'm eating the chips and I'm yeah. eating every damn one of them and I'm licking the bag afterwards. Yep. You know, And that's okay because you know what? That day when you were having a good day, you did reach for that string tease or, yeah. that, or those celery sticks. And that your week isn't ruined by that day. Mm. You know, it's the, okay, I did this. And but tomorrow, I'm gonna get back to my egg whites, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I, you're absolutely 100. If you're if you want to make a like a lifestyle change, then you have to allow yourself to eat a bag of chips and lick all the salt out of the inside yeah, of that bag. Absolutely, <laughs> because and that's life. That's like it's not realistic to think like you're never gonna eat chips again. And like, don't make anything taboo. And when the world's yeah, falling apart and the, you know, COVID is now. everywhere and, you know, politics are, you know, like, it's okay. Really, yeah. if you, you know, gain a pound because of that bag of chips, you're oh, all right. You're alive. I will use a salty bag of chips as a mask and, <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> and I will just be happy, 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 happy. Like a trow. You know, like Lay's or any of those, like, like if they made you like like a, a, a mask. And you just start that, eating chips like the whole time. had like a little like salty smell to it too, a little oh, salt yeah, and vinegar. I'm right there. I'm right there. Oh, why why mm. do we not have scented masks? Now I need to know. I'm right there. 100%. I'm there with you. And yes, salt and, <laughs> salt and vinegar leggies, 100%. I'm yes. right there with you. If they were in the house, that would be what I'd be having after this interview. I'm so eating I them was, right now I was head. thinking, oh, sorry, Greg, what? I'm just saying I'm eating them right now in my head. I'm going to. Mm, me too. I'm imagining. I have a very vivid imagination. Go ahead. I was thinking, knowing that we were going to talk to you um, about the D&D fitness um, hashtag as well. But so I was trying to think if you were a, tr- a trainer to D and D characters, and you could only give each class one exercise that would help them, like I like for their training. Like, what would they be? And I so I was like, well, like a wizard. Like, would you do something that like works like the shoulder area, so they can really like throw those fireballs, right. or like a rogue? What would you lift your wand? <laughs> lift so, your wand. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it's interesting. You know, one of the exercises I do when I walk because I, I'm very spoiled. The normally I have my gym, you know, big old Gold's gym that mm-hmm. I've worked out out at for health 
two decades, you know, is seven minutes away in my car. So I was always like, I don't need to buy home gym equipment because I can, I will always just be able to hop in the car. So I don't have much gym equipment here at the house. But can I tell you one of the exercises that I do, and it's a good wizard exercise. um, And it's funny, one of my friends who was a a drum major uh, turned me on to it is people don't realize, I should talk to Lauren about this, uh, oboe crazy, uh, is, uh, is conducting. Literally for your shoulders, oh, you do yeah. that while you're walking for like, you know, you pick like for an entire block of actually arms up and doing conducting movements, your shoulders will be on fire. Let oh, me interesting. tell you. And you're not carrying um, anything, like nothing. Not a thing. Nobody. And I will tell you, know, yeah, no once you can do one block, do two blocks. And once you can do two blocks, I do, uh, you know, straight out to the side, straight up, and then straight back out to the sides and then down to, you know, all the way down, like to my hips type idea, you know, this. And I do it for this big, long stretch along my walk. So it ends up, I do about 120 of them, of that sort of repetition. And by the end of it, I can't lift my arms. Oh, that's funny. And that's with no. I wonder way. if that would inspire people to want to work out more. If these, if we had exor- a simple exercise, but we called it, you know, like casting fireball or something. Yeah, fire. Right, right. right. <laughs> pulling, <laughs> pulling your bow. Yeah, it's it's yes. your somatic components. It is your, you know, because that's what I was thinking is with the wizard, you know, with those some crazy somatic components of all that stuff. Yeah, you have good shoulders for that, man. Yeah, I was thinking like a rogue, like you might want to do like some calf raises like if you have to be on your tippy toes a lot and um or like something like i feel like they're like crouching down a lot so you yeah, might want to like, like squats and, type things maybe sort of like uh, i'm thinking oh for like a rogue for like sneaking underneath of like trip wires yeah. and stuff maybe doing planks just because that's something oh that's good with yep, yep. you know get that really <laughs> powerful core uh certainly your fighters paladins uh, I'm going to go with pull-ups just in general because that's a great strength, just straight-up strength okay. exercise. Um, uh, I'm thinking with clerics of like, you know, probably like farmer carries, of like from carrying all the down, uh, whenever you've got to drag that. Whenever you're all the drag unconscious, that unconscious bodies. Out of battle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's that, you know, it's basically like doing fireman drags, you know, like literally grabbing something and walking backwards. That's great hamstrings. Uh, for dragging, you know, dragging your fallen comrades out of there. Um, you probably bard could do the same conductor type idea or, yeah. you know, depending on your, uh, your instrument. Um, oh, golly, let's think some other classes. Uh, well, we had barbarian a, can do a swinging of the axe type of thing. Yeah. Oh, like kettlebells, uh, definitely kettlebells. For oh, I love barbarians. the kettlebells. Yeah. Kettlebells for your barbarian. I'm going to do the barbarian sure. workout. When yeah, we had we had a gym out. at at work, so like we were very spoiled ones too, and we had those horrible ropes, you know, like oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. but I hate them, which must mean they're good for me. But I was monk I, for that for that that's like you know, for flurry of blows to get yes. That. So that yeah, rope is definitely a monk exercise. Oh, I feel bad for those monks. <laughs> Not great. Those again, you want to talk about something that gets your shoulders and your core? Those oh, ropes, those are bad. Those are Those tough. Are what about flipping tires? I always wanted to do that. Flipping tires, golly. <laughs> um, I mean, that sort of goes in the bar- maybe sort of a, the barbarian uh, piece, but um, maybe a little cleric if like to carry. Yeah, the yeah, body. It's sort of the, the cleric. You know, because you know, everyone's like, oh, the clerics just heal. Like, yeah, have you gone up against a storm cleric? <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, These are the things I like to think about pre-interview. No, I like that. I, <laughs> ooh, maybe the. Um, 
the tire is probably like your artificer, you know, sort of because they've got to move around all the big pieces and parts of all their inventions. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the warlock is just... uh, Eldritch Blast. I was just going to say, like, talking to their patron uh, Uh, on the phone. Probably curls because they're sitting in the back with a beer in one hand and shooting and shooting Eldritch Blast with the other. I kind of like that one, yeah. Yeah, they got to be able to do oh, ambidextrous Eldritch Blasts. Yeah, you know? yeah. Sometimes you have to use your, your right hand to pick up your beer, so it's good to yeah, it's good to be practice to, on both. Definitely, definitely yeah. want to be able to have that. Um, well, awesome. next time I do a workout like this, I am going to think about a D and D workout. I'm going to not really call it pull ups. I'm really going to think like I'm I'm doing my paladin workout now. Paladin pull ups. Paladin oh, yeah. pull ups. Oh yeah, it's got alliteration and everything. You're, you're there there you go. Uh, so yeah, yeah, you should post that on uh, yeah, Twitter to, under I'll the D and D fitness. There, Shelley. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you're you know inspiring us in many ways uh, today, Obviously, Jay. Yes. Uh, good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on uh, and and talking through all of these fun things and you know, the yeah. vice. Uh, congratulations on on finishing that campaign out. Uh, are you going to be starting up uh, anything else soon? So the big one is, is I having that many sessions and the notes for all those sessions around is I am trying to assemble those into a uh, into a world book. So you know, oh, some of those cool. stories that uh, that we were telling. Uh, and that uh, Shelley was liking is uh, yeah we've got this is my my bird in the storm. This is our little publishing. Uh, the house, which we've not published anything yet, but we, because we had to have a logo. You, you know, gotta have the, the logo, logo for you, yeah, exactly. We don't actually, you know, we don't sell anything except for logo merchandise. Or, Once you, know, you get the merch, anything yet. the books will follow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but no, uh, so uh, be looking for that. I'm actually hoping to release a little module uh, that takes place in my world, just sort of starting to get my chops going uh, because it is uh, a homebrew world. It will be over like on a drive-thru RPG. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is heavily influenced by all the fun and excitement uh, in the D&D universes. And uh, so that's next with the idea of eventually, uh, hopefully having a big, uh, big giant world book out there uh, cool. for people to be able to, have their own campaign in the world that we played in. Awesome. Uh, cool. And where can people find out about Bird in the Storm? Anything else you're doing? You know, obviously, the, um, the hashtag mainly, Game uh, Fitness. Out through uh, the internet, uh, pretty much everywhere I am Tall Squall uh, and have links to all my other stuff out there. Uh, I believe I only share the moniker Tall Squall with a uh, squall jacket, at Land's End, that comes in a tall size. So <laughs> usually if you Google Tall Squall, it <laughs> is me or people who've misidentified me in cosplay pictures. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can find me uh, out there. I do have a YouTube channel. The entire Vice campaign is available on YouTube. It's like 500 plus hours of content, uh, but you are more than welcome. Uh, it's, you know, like all streaming shows, even like early Critical Role, it is, there's some, it's a little rough there at the beginning, but uh, yeah, we get our stride there at the end. We do have lots of highlights from it as well, which uh, I often will share out on Twitter. But yeah, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you can find me there as Tall Squall. Uh, Bird in the Storm, I will certainly, uh, we have accounts there as well. Not many as many people uh, know about those, but uh, you will certainly find out about all of those out on the Twitter. Tweets. That's awesome. Uh, so many things going on and you are a, you know, a shining light. Uh, and so hopefully we're, we're pointing more, more lights at you, uh, and, uh, we'll reflect back and soon we'll be like this 
prism of rainbows uh, everywhere. <laughs> hey, every little Sounds every amazing. little candle brings some more light to the world. So yes. I'm, well, you are doing true. great things for our community. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I've really uh, enjoyed talking with you all today. An inspiring individual once again. Uh, I love talking to uh, the D&D community as always, but Jay offered some great advice uh, and he's a uh, bright light in the in the community and uh, I hope yes. more people emulate his kindness because it is overwhelming. I agree. And I'm going to yeah. go for a jog now. I'm going to go for a jog. <laughs> I was lifting weights through the whole to interview. To my so, refrigerator. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> To kick back, uh, yeah. enjoy everything no, that's happening. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so yeah, we mentioned a whole bunch of great stuff that is coming down from Dungeons and Dragons, including uh, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden, Curse of Strahd Revamped, coming October twentieth. A hundred dollar box full of goodies for you coffin to jump into your shaped box. Coffin shaped. We didn't need to do any other media alert communication other than that, did we? That's it. Yeah. Got three words for you. Let's just fax it out there. Probably a hyphen in there. So maybe only two words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the we'll get the editors to tell us. Is this two words or but, one word or is it a combo can, word? I mean there's three words technically, but there's a hyphen. Does that what <laughs> exactly so we will uh talk more about that in the months to come as well as Tasha's cauldron of everything and the great Dal Muti. Oh my gosh. A fantastic D D reskin of uh uh a Dungeons and Dragons reskin of a card game, right? Yes, very classic card game. 25th mm-hmm. anniversary, baby. Two, five. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, cool. Well, you can find out about all that stuff and more at DungeonsAndDragons.com or follow us on social. There is the Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on the Facebooks and all that. Follow uh, the YouTube channel or subscribe, as they say. <laughs> Smash that like button. <laughs> and uh, fun, you know we're going to be doing lots more of videos on that channel and on that platform. So check it out. Uh, and Shelly, how can folks get in touch with you and ask you all about uh, how to play in your table during D&D oh, celebration? Oh yeah, uh, find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Sweet. Uh, I am Greg uh, Tito at not uh. <laughs> I am Greg. Uh, Greg. Uh, Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. I do have some pictures up from my camping trip there recently. So if you want to casting, jump into the f- uh, you were casting smoke or something. There was another cool picture of you. Oh yeah, that was on Twitter where I, there was a, a streak of a cloud, and I used my finger as a You're, making it look. I like feel I was like you could something. have a, an entire Instagram dedicated just to like casting spells in the wild when you have, <laughs> like you know with sun. Having your fingers and hands strategically placed around it, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it, it's it magic. Hits, it's it literally magic. I know. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, that was on Twitter, I think. But yeah, follow me on Instagram for some other fun pictures, and uh, we will close this out by talking about our amazing partners who put Dungeon Dragon Talk together: Siren Sound, uh, Ryan Marth, and Lisa Carr. Uh, thank you to them as well as Sean Mayofsky on uh, our video side and, you know, a legacy shout out to Pelham Green for just being awesome. Yeah, we, we, feel, we feel your spirit here, Pelham. <laughs> You're all around. Love is all around us. 
Um, speaking of being all around us, I think uh, Daryl Two Shoes is all around us. I hope so. I feel like Drunky's getting closer. Drunky's getting closer. Uh, in our last installment, Drunky discovered that the Hawks Down uh, was a ship, was the name of the ship that uh, her brother, our littermate, uh, had departed upon, and you were headed towards the harbor master to find out about it. I think yeah. you might even have talked to him, right? I mean, it was like two weeks ago. How do you expect <laughs> me to remember? It was in the before times. It was before times. Uh, so, yeah, you you know that the Hawks Down may be coming back uh, in the next few days. Yes. I think I, 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 I don't know. I think I did talk to the Harbor Master, or I'm so. in the process of. Right. And you, I think you, yeah. So what do you want to uh, do now? Did he give uh, me gotta, information? I'd like to know where the... I'm looking for the Hawks down. It's coming. Yes, of course. It is uh, on its way. Uh, uh, it just departed, uh, you know, less than a day ago. Oh, uh, what, do you know when it... it where, does, where does the Hawks down go? Uh, to Waterdeep uh, and back uh, through here. It should be, you know, maybe in a few days or so. It'll be did, back. Did you happen to... Uh, notice anyone on that ship that looks like me? Uh, no, none of them were as uh, beautiful in their feline features as you, of course. Wow. I mean, what, any other, like, tabaxi-like characters on there? I don't normally remark upon individuals I see on ships without uh, some form of compensation. Drunky jingles her, the coins in her pocket, kind of being a little nervous because she may have given all the good stuff to that nice lady. Jingle, jingle. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Jingle, jingle. Uh, mm. Are you uh, going to offer anything more? Yeah. How about a couple of silver pieces? <laughs> <laughs> Roll me a persuasion at disadvantage now. For real? Silver is not very enticing, dude. I rolled a three and a five. I don't oh. need your disadvantage. I already have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you hear uh, over from the distance someone say, Harbor Master! And he's like, if you'll excuse me, please. And he walks away. But, but wait! That's where we'll end. Damn it. Uh, but you do, uh, as you're kind of watching him go, you see uh, not really anything d- defining, but you see a figure... Uh, who um, was hiding, uh, not necessarily hiding, but just move away from, from you, almost as if they were observing your conversation. The end. We'll continue okay. this with the I next. Haven't, I have, okay, I know what I'm ne- going to do. I know what I'm going to do. All right. And I'm glad I saved my money, because this is better. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll pick it up next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Peace out.